welcome back to another episode of Trades Talk. Maggie Wymore here on the eve of the Aspire Ignite Conference. Super excited about what's coming up here in the next few weeks while we're recording this. It's kind of our Super Bowl of the year, so I had to give my selfish plug to the Aspire Ignite Conference in Vegas next week. Justin, I get to see you there. Are you pumped? I can't wait. And as you know, Maggie, I always bring a posse. So we've got over a dozen people coming this year. We're going big at the k team. I just think it's a great opportunity to network with other contractors, learn, push yourself. And then of course, Aspire takes care of their clients like nobody. And so we're going to have a good time in Vegas, Sin City. Yeah. When this episode comes out, it'll probably be a month or two after the show and it just get people pumped up for coming next year. But yeah, can't wait. So who do we have on today, Justin? So on today's episode, Maggie, we have Alec Ryan. He is the market vice president for land care of the Southern California market. Today's episode, we dive into how to make your account manager successful, how to build account managers in your company, how to increase your book of business, and eventually grow your commercial market segment of your landscape company. Yeah, Alec brings some unique perspective on this. He's worked in the commercial landscape market for a couple of years now, quite a few years now, amongst many different companies in many different states. He was in Colorado and Texas and now in, in California. So I think he brings a really good perspective to today's conversation. Yeah. If you're looking to grow your business or you're looking to potentially get into the landscape business or take your company or career to the next level, I think this episode is going to talk to the entire gambit of listeners from employees looking to grow to company owners looking to take their business to the next level. So Let's jump in. Let's talk to Alec and get some of these takeaways that we're so excited to share. Yeah. One more thing before we do that. If you like what you're hearing, guys, don't forget to rate, subscribe, keep us and share with your friends. We really enjoy doing this and we definitely want to get the word out there about how great the trades are and how great our industry is. Yeah. Big Bring thanks it. to everyone listening so far and giving us those subscribe and rates. And also... We don't have any advertisers right now. So this is all listener-based. So the one thing that we'd ask is just share an episode with a friend or family member or maybe a colleague in the industry. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's get into it. All right, let's jump in. All right, Alec, welcome to the show. You're here with Trades Talk, Maggie and Justin. How are you doing today? Great, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Excited to jump into today's episode. So we always like to start off just giving a little background of who you are, where you work, what you do. So maybe just give us a quick little snapshot, couple minute overview of your story in the horticulture industry. Yeah, absolutely. So it all kind of started when I was about 10 years old and mowing lawns in my neighborhood and knocking on the neighbor's doors to go mow lawns and make some summer cash, right? So kind of had that as my summer job. And then did that through high school and went to do horticulture in college. I started college undecided, but actually got a viticulture and enology degree and a horticulture business degree. And I did not think I was going to be in landscaping. And but somehow it just drew me right back kind of to my childhood. So got right into got a job to be an account manager out of college and just started hustling. To be honest, I got pretty lucky to work with a good group uh, at Emerald Isle Landscaping in Denver. And, you know, my initial goal and something that my dad always instilled in me was just be the very best at whatever you do and you'll be successful, right? So if you're in landscaping, if you're a plumber, if you're a roofer, just be the absolute very best. So my goal from the very beginning was just learn as much as you can, every aspect of the business. And once I got to commercial landscaping, like it was on, like I wanted to learn the financials. I wanted to be in management. I wanted to run the business. And so 
I was lucky enough to get to a branch manager spot pretty quickly uh, when I was 24 years old there with Emerald Isle and took an opportunity then after that to move to Aspen, Colorado and nice. run business up there for a little bit. And then after a couple of kids, moved back to Denver and and then really kind of finished out my story, ended up at Landcare, got an opportunity to meet with Mark Hopkins and some of the leadership with Landcare, who I think are some of the best people in the industry. I know are, are kind of my favorite people in the industry and got a chance to, to move to Texas from Colorado to work for Landcare. And once again, it was just time to go and grow the business. And, you know, we grew the business really fast in Texas and now kind of been able to move up in the company pretty fast. So it's kind of a long story short, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a bunch of little bumps and things along the way that you've learned. I'm excited to dig into that. Give us a little idea of what it was like. Let's just talk about that move from account manager to branch manager, going back to kind of the beginning. What was that transition like? And what, from your perspective, are the role changes going from an account manager to a branch manager? Yeah, absolutely. I think account manager, you're not quite on an island, but you really just kind of take care of yourself. You have your customer base, you have a good team around you, and you're really just out there to make sure that customers are taken care of, the landscape looks good, and it's really kind of stay in your lane and, and do your job really well. And then moving into a leadership position, you know, it just changes the game. You have to rely on a lot of people to make sure that you're successful, right? I look at my career and wouldn't be anywhere I am without the people around me and not without the people that went to battle with me every day to be successful. So the number one thing is just allowing your team members around you to be successful. And then looking for strengths in people is the number one thing as a leader is just finding strengths, putting them in a position to succeed and, you know, creating opportunity for employees is I think the number one thing that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because you and I have such similar backgrounds. You know, I started in the industry when I was 13, have a bachelor of science in horticulture and I was an account manager as well, like out of college, commercial landscape account manager. So we have very similar backgrounds. And one of the things that I noticed kind of growing up in the industry is how do you get identified to make that transition? So what did leadership see in you as an account manager to that set you apart to become a branch manager? You know, I think... It's just one thing is really aggressiveness, consistency, and just a passion and wanting to be the best. But also, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who I look right now and future leaders. And a lot of our account managers are jumping into that job. It's once you're around them quite a bit, it's like, oh, gosh, this guy wants to do the work. This gal, she's a hustler. She's going out there. She's leading the team in every situation. You have a construction job. You look out there and it's like, well, there's the leader. And then, you know, everybody else is following that person. And you kind of can realize pretty quickly, I think, on saying like, oh, gosh, this person wants to be the leader. They want to manage people. They want to be a decision maker. And then decisiveness. You look at an account manager, it's a branch manager. You have to make decisions and you have to make them fast. And the people that can really make those decisions, you're, you can look at them and say, all right, I think we found maybe the next leader in the business. It's so funny. I was listening to this thing yesterday that fell directly in line with that. And it said, you could always tell someone's bank account by how quickly they place their coffee order at the coffee shop. And it's the people who take long to make the decisions, have all of these variables in their coffee order that usually aren't as successful as those who go in, know what they want right away and, and make that decision quickly. Yeah. I mean, just think you have to make these decisions. And the thing is, is you probably aren't going to, well, you're not going to be right all the time. And to be a leader, you have to live with it, right? You live with mistakes 
and to realize, and as a leader, you have to allow your people to make mistakes, but that's way better than people not making decisions. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's for sure. Yeah. I know personally working so closely with Aspire and Landcare, um, that's one thing I love about the relationship specifically with Landcare is I've noticed that they, they allow their people to make decisions and own their mistakes and they don't they admit to their mistakes, but they don't necessarily like beat down on their employees for the making of the mistakes. They allow them to be innovators. They allow them to step out of their comfort zones and really own the results of their mistakes. Yeah. A couple of things you said to owning the mistakes is also finding the strengths. So as you make those mistakes, you look back and reflect on, okay, what are my strengths as I go forward? And how do I take those mistakes, apply them to future success? Because we're all going to make mistakes. I always tell that to my team is it's not the mistake that we judge you by. It's how you react and reflect on that mistake and then pivot going forward. Mm -hmm. Alec, you also said make decisions and make them quickly. One thing I feel a lot of us have, a, at least I have a tough time is I can make a decision when someone comes and asks me a question. But as a leader, especially as you're a branch manager and sometimes as a branch manager on an island in your own branch, right? It's finding the decisions that need to be made on a day-to-day basis because it's really easy to show up and fight fires and feel accomplished at the end of the day. But it's going in and being strategic and thinking about those things no one else is thinking about in your market that I think separates the companies, the ones that grow and succeed versus the ones that kind of stagnate and potentially fail. What's your kind of take on that stuff? Well, I think you're spot on. And it goes back to, I think I was watching uh, something on Jeff Bezos and he's talking about leadership. And he's like, look, I don't really make that many decisions, but the decisions I make are billion dollar decisions. And the, the team under me are making, you know, million dollar, thousand dollar decisions. And you look at our yourself as a leader or myself as I continue to grow within land care, the decisions that I make are much more impactful to the company than the decisions of an account manager on what plant are we installing or what type of irrigation head are we putting in? You know, you're looking at the future of your business and, you know, listen to a podcast like, do I go into water management or not? Like that could crumble or really help your business, right? And so you have to kind of get to that crossroads and make that probably make 10 decisions a year, but those are going to be a heck of a lot more impactful to your business than an account manager deciding, you know, what size shrub to install that day. So as a horticulture professional, mowing lawns since 10 years old, which it sounds like all three of us have had some experience doing that. How do you not get into the day-to-day grind of what shrub, what plant, what tree, how to go and handle a fire on one of the accounts? I've seen a lot of people elevate to branch manager, potentially VP, and then kind of get sucked back into the account manager day-to-day. Maybe they have a junior AM that's not really handling it. How do you not get into that day-to-day grind and stay high level in your role today? Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to continue to grow in leadership. But really, when you grow into a role in branch management or above, it's about the future. You got to continually look about the future and you've hired people to do the day-to-day, right? You've hired people to make sure that their impact is made on a day-to-day basis. And you trust that their decisions are the right decision. And if it's not the right decision, I always tell my team like, look, it's not going to be the right decision, but we'll move off of it. We'll figure it out and and we'll make sure that, you know, the customer yourself is taken care of. So, you know, hire the right people. Really, it comes down to making sure you have the right people in your business to be side-by-side with you. You know, have a few right-hand people within your business to make sure that certain things are getting done while you can look to the future. 
could not agree more. I mean, the people you surround yourself with make you more successful. So, or they could bring you down if you surround yourself with the wrong people. One of the questions I wanted to talk about was regarding your specific role at Landcare, your job is to kind of come into these new markets or even existing markets and grow them. So when you come into a piece of the organization, while it's still land care, you know, branch to branch, things differ quite very quite a bit. What are some of your strategies that you take when you come in to try to grow a market? It starts with the branch managers immediately. So I oversee seven branches in Los Angeles and Orange County. And immediately it's, do, do we have the leaders that are wanting to grow first, right? If you have a leader in a branch where they're maybe hesitant because, oh gosh, if we get that, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get the crew, right? Or how am I going to get the people to do that? And I always say that, like, we'll figure that out later. You know what I mean? We got to get the work first. But it starts with leadership within the branch. And then it just goes down from there. And here at Landcare, we don't have business developers. So it's really account managers for us. And the branch manager have to lead that charge. And when we search for our account managers, we're looking for somebody a little bit different, I think, than the standard account manager within you know, kind of the go-to account manager, that's the be-all, end-all, installs the work, does the work for the customer, takes care of the customer. Our account managers are strictly focused on the customer. And then the production team is strictly focused on the production. And that allows account managers to go out there, be with the client, manage the day-to-day instead of the one installing the flowers, making sure that all looks good, which, which is part of their job. They're with customers and with new customers to expand that relationship and know that we'll take care of them. So it's kind of the way we go about our business, but it once again starts with the leadership within the branch. When I was an account manager, one of the things that I noticed is we hired a very similar profile, but a lot of these people came with horticultural backgrounds and degrees or landscape industry background, and they weren't salespeople. So they had Mm -hmm. to learn these skills of salespeople. What kind of sales training do you put your team through? Or do you look for people who already have sales background and make them into landscapers? Kind of take your your training approach there. What does that look like? So the training, we do a little bit of sales training, but not a ton. We're looking for people that are just relationship builders. We're looking for kind of a pretty unique person. And a lot of the times they're not in the industry. A lot of our account managers that we find are really, really good come from the restaurant industry come from a service side industry. And we're really, we grab those people and say, hey, like we can teach you some technical, but it's hard to find people that just thrive off of relationships. And those are the people we're looking for in the business. I think that's a good way to approach business development, but also account management. And I've heard a lot of the success stories. I've had a few where people have come from outside the industry, came in and have been successful because they don't get down into the weeds, so to speak, literally on a day-to-day basis as an account manager. So when you talk with your account managers, like a new one coming in, what is their priorities? What are their objectives as an account manager at Landcare? And how are they judged on their success? So judged on success, I think it's really, you have your portfolio, it's managing the portfolio and retaining customers is number one. We send out a survey to all of our customers every single year to get feedback. And the number one thing, good or bad, is always communication responsiveness. Like, I mean, it is so far and above what all, you know, it's not weeds in the back or it's not all the shrub was trimmed wrong. It's 
does my account manager communicate with me and do they respond when I when I ask them for something? And so when we look at our account managers, like you're hired, like we need you answering your phone immediately, answer your emails, make sure that you're out there with the customer. We get the term proactive sent out there a lot, but if you're with your customers, you're already going to be proactive. So I hate, you know, I don't want you to go out there and just try to find problems, but come up with solutions for your customers and communicate effectively. So uh, that's just initially is communication and more communication uh, is what we yeah. found out. And then on the surveys, the ones that are the best is when they name the account manager. It's like, I'm not going anywhere because I love this person or, or that person. So it usually boils down to they respond immediately and get back to me with anything that I need. That's awesome. One of our fundamentals at KD is be a fanatic about response time and just getting after the ability to get back to a customer, whether you have the answer or not, just getting back to them. And I think that is one of the things that separates good account managers from those who are kind of forgotten about in the client size. But you mentioned they know their account manager's name. So if an account is not very proactive from the client side, they're not calling, they're not emailing, they just are kind of hands off, they're busy with whatever else facilities they're doing. How often should account managers be checking in with their clients when it is kind of a ghost on the inbound side? I think it just depends. All of our clients and all of us as people want to be treated differently, right? Like you have some that are like, you know, don't bother me, make sure the landscape looks good. And as long as that's all right, then we're good to go. Or, you know, someone else may be like, hey, you know, check in. You know, when you get to the site, I want you to walk in and say hi, right? So I think it's being vulnerable and asking the client what they want. You first have your initial conversation with a new client. How do you want to be communicated to? Do you want me here once a week, twice a week? It's for a property of this size, I think we should be here once a week. Is that good with you? And some clients want that. And some are like, hey, don't bother me. I'm so busy. I'm not even on site. Like, I just want you here once a month, you know, making sure my, my property looks good and send me a note. So I think it's asking the client what they want. We might think that they want an email once a week or a phone call once a week when really that's bothering them. So be vulnerable and just ask them. Right. I know there's a lot of inspections and some type of a track record that the account there. They did look at the property. Maggie, I know you guys have a tool called Site Audits that we use a little bit at K&D. What are the, Maggie, from an Aspire standpoint, what is the Site Audit tool? And then maybe Alec, you can let us know if you guys use that. Yeah, I think the Site Audit tool is one of those tools that's extremely powerful, but pretty dramatically underutilized on the Aspire platform. Now, I will say Alec's team at Landcare is one of our gold standard star users of the site audit form. And what that allows you to do is just from a manager's view, you're able to see how often your account managers are touching their properties and what they're looking at, what they're proposing as far as enhancements, as well as just, are they loaded noticing the little things and how often are they doing that? And from our client's client's view, so from the end user, they're able to get a nice report hey, this person was on site today. Here's what they saw in a digestible format that allows them to have that proactive communication and give them the warm and fuzzies, but they don't necessarily have to talk to the person. Like They just know that they're there just from a piece of paper landing on their desk. Alec, will you kind of talk about your philosophy with using the site audits and kind of some rules and protocols you guys have in place with them? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called uh, LQAs for us, uh, Landscape Quality Audits. And we generally like to have one per month for every single one of our customers. Now, some of your biggest clients are going to pay 
top clients pay 80% of your bills, right? And so for those customers, it could be biweekly or even weekly. So they're called LQAs for us and our account managers and, and production managers are out there doing those for the clients, which is finding problems on the property, making sure you're letting them know that stuff is going to get done next week, finding solutions for them to make sure that our enhancements are being you know pushed out the door and bringing them ideas to make their property better. And then really just kind of wrap up of what's going on on the property. What are our thoughts? And maybe what are the seasonal changes that we're going to go through and what we're going to do? So LQAs for us is a huge resource. And account managers, like I said, are we pretty much require once per month. But like I said, I think depending on the client, you could probably do, do quite a few more. And do you feel that utilizing a system like that allows you to grow the business just from that property manager receiving them from you guys. And then maybe they have four other properties that Landcare is not taking care of. And they're like, well, I like this form of communication. Does that help boost your business overall? Absolutely. I think when you look at a customer and they say, oh gosh, I love this. Then they ask you to propose another property and you, you send them a contract and an LQA. It's like, all right, here's our thoughts of the property plus your new contract. It allows them to see how we view their other property and maybe what we think is going on and how can it improve. So I think absolutely it, it helps us with that business development piece. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are definitely differentiating in the market. And I know in California, there are a lot of companies who have had accounts for a long time and potentially have gotten complacent on these, what you call LQAs, these landscape quality audits, or just basic communication about how things are going in the field. It's We've had it for 10 years, clients are happy, we've got the relationship and they start to kind of reduce quality. I don't want to say reduce quality, right? The site probably actually looks good, but maybe reduce the communication cadence, reduce that responsiveness and having a system in place is so important. And I talked to a lot of business owners who were trying to scale their commercial landscape maintenance, trying to grow that part of their business. And their question to me is, how do I do it? And it's a loaded question and not one that's easy to answer right off the bat. But I'd love to jump into that concept of how do we grow the commercial landscape maintenance side of our business? So from a high level, what are some of the things that you've seen Landcare do or yourself that has led to just that nice organic growth in that commercial landscape maintenance sector? Yeah, I think it starts kind of what we talked about a little bit earlier is when you go to a new customer and it's like, all right, what do you love love about your current company, right? And it's always like, oh my gosh, I love my account manager. They're so good. And so when we look at our business, business developers out there that has been kind of the, the standard across the industry to have people out there selling. And, and I've been a business developer in my life, right? So, so I kind of know. And I think the one thing about that is you're on an island and you're out there kind of wheeling and dealing. And then you come back to your account manager, production manager, and you hand like, I got this awesome contract for you. Here you go. And then you have to do a whole new introduction, right? Like I've built this rapport with the customer. Things are going well. And then it's like, all right, well, now here's your account manager. I'm going to pass them off to you. And the way we look at our business is an account manager, whatever contract they sell, they are the ones that are going to manage that property. So an account manager is out there. They can take full autonomy on here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to go about it. And they're like, well, how do I know that? Well, I'm going to be the one that's following through with you. And I'm going to be the one that's taking care of your account. So for us, it creates full autonomy for account managers to go and find business that they want to do as well. Right. When you look at business developers, they could sell a portfolio of a ton of apartments and hand it to a guy and goes, oh, well, I don't know. These aren't very good. These are low margin, low bid. What am I going to do with these? Where if you're an account manager out there selling, it's like, 
man, I got all these jobs and, and now I have to manage them. So they better be good jobs and they better be high gross margin jobs so we can be successful. So I'd say number one is take accountability on the accounts that you're selling. Make sure you know what you're going after. Yeah. And know the markets you're going after and what you're really good at. So allow account managers. And even if you have business developers, I think it's out there. But one structure that, that I liked at a previous company was the commission was based on the gross margin of the contracts, not on the revenue of the contract. So nice. a salesperson has to sell the job at a gross margin that's acceptable to make the business run. Yeah. So quick question on that compensation side, not to get too down into the nitty gritty, but kind of big picture, how do you guys structure the comp packages for your account managers? Is it strictly based at plus commission? Do they have commission on new sale enhancements without giving out too many specifics? What's kind of the structure of that for you guys? I don't mind giving out specifics at all because we don't offer oh. commission. So it's strictly base salary. And then our bonus structure is everybody in the company gets the bonus or nobody gets it. So we're nice. winning as an entire company or we're losing as an entire company. And the reason we don't have commission structure is, is really because I don't want account managers going out there and selling or providing a proposal for $5,000 of irrigation if the customer doesn't need it. We want to give them solutions that they really need. And I don't want our people, you dangle a carrot in front of people on, if you sell this much, you get this. They're going to sell that much, but it's going to be something that maybe the customers don't like and your retention may go down because they think they're getting overcharged. So employees are going to do what the, like I said, the carrot is dangled in front of them. They're going to act in that way, right? If you're, if you're a business developer and you need to sell a million and anything over a million on revenue, you get a bunch of money you're going to go after just a ton of bad contracts and try to just get that revenue as high as possible. So we don't offer commissions at all. We just expect we'll pay you a really good salary to do your job really well. Love commission that. Breath, Love commission that breath is a real thing for sure. So let's talk a little bit about like the rest of your organization and how your salespeople work with you know the production side of the team and communicate needs and everything. So I'm assuming you said product, the term production managers. So I'm assuming you guys have a list of account managers. They have a portfolio of book of business and they work directly with specific production managers on their book of business, or do they work with multiple? Kind of tell me how that works. Yeah, we try to pair the production manager with an account manager as much as possible. So if an account manager has something going on, they have one phone call away to go get something done. So we tried to have book a business of production managers to book a business with account managers. Now, obviously with change in personnel or with addition of new contracts, there's some moving parts. But the way I look at the business is if you have an account manager who's who's okay at landscape, but amazing at communication, why would we want them to be okay at landscaping and then okay with customers? Because there's only enough time in the day. So um, you know, be really good at what you do. And so when we have our production managers, if you're unbelievable at the production, just be really, really good at that. And we'll make sure that client is taken care of. So we try to pair them as much as possible. Where I mean, it's really a simple structure of branch manager, account manager, and production manager, and then kind of cruise underneath, underneath those production managers. Thanks for sharing that too. I think there's a lot of companies out there that are going from that single owner operator to hiring their first account manager, hiring their first production manager, I went through that about 10 years ago. It's kind of a scary place to be because you're really handing off relationships that you've maybe curated for a long time. But I do believe that's the right structure to have. I've known a lot of companies where they go straight account manager, foreman, or crew leader. 
and you alluded to this earlier, what you get is you get an account manager that's so focused on the production, they don't have time to respond to the client because they get five emails or five phone calls for them or from their foremans asking them, hey, what do I do here? What do I do there? The one phone call from the client ends up getting ignored because those crew leaders are out on the job today needing answers. I've personally seen that. And we have switched everything to the structure you alluded to branch manager, account manager, production manager, seems to work really well. The pushback I get when I talk to people who are in this, let's say three to 5 million mark, and they're trying to grow is, well, if I hire production managers and account managers and myself, I'm not going to make any money. It's how do I pay for all these people? So how do you guys utilize enhancement and irrigation and water management sales? And I don't want to say increases, but just additional enhancements on your current maintenance book to potentially pay for some of that some of that salary some of that overhead burden is that some, one of the ways you pay for that or is it strictly recovered through your, your maintenance margin well obviously we want to keep our maintenance margin up enhancement margin is always going to be better than than maintenance margin so enhancements play a huge role um, the one thing i would say like hey how am i going to pay for it so I, i'd say it in this way is I've been there too, where I'm, I'm digging a hole, fixing irrigation head and the client's calling me and I'm like, oh God. And then I'm going back and I got to make sure the production, start planting some flowers and the client calls me again. And it's like, if you have those separated, right? And the production manager is, is handling all that. One, you're answering every call. So if you have a relationship like, hey, I need a proposal for enhancements, but I need you to get it done by Sunday, right? You're going to answer that call. If you're doing the production, it's going to be hard to say, all right, I'll answer that. Oh, yeah. And then I'll go back to the office and, and get the bid. And you kind of just start making people work. I mean, there's a few people that can work the 12 hour days and hustle and get all of it done, but you're going to start burning people out. So if you have kind of separate those duties of this account manager takes care of the communication piece, takes in the request to get proposals and get some, you know, one of the the biggest things I see is like if a person asks for a proposal and it's a $5,000 proposal, get that thing out in 24 hours. You have a lot better chance of signing that when somebody's asking you for it. And the only way to do that is if you have time to do it. So if you're doing production and account management, you're not able to get those enhancements out faster. So we've noticed that, you know, the more we've separated the account management and production manager side, the more enhancements are going out the door and the more enhancements we're putting in the ground, to be honest. Yeah, I got to imagine that increases client retention too, which you said is kind of the number one success profile of your account managers. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about growing a book of business as an account manager, if I'm working at Landcare, one of my concerns would be, well, hey, Alec, I've already have kind of a full book of business. I feel pretty busy. I know this person, that person says they have more accounts to bid on, but I don't know. I feel pretty busy. Like, Do you purposely keep your account managers a light book how do you accomplish that without them feeling like they're adding more to their own plate? Absolutely. It just depends on the type of customer, the size of customers and how many, right? If you have you know, a $2 million book of business, but only have 20 customers, you're probably not overloaded. If you have a $2 million book of business, but have 100 customers, you're probably drowning. And so it's really the leadership's job to make sure that we know the capabilities of our account managers and that they're not completely overloaded and burned out on a day-to-day basis. So if we start to see that happen for us, it's we look at bringing in new account managers. Maybe they're, they're not going to take on a million-dollar book of business right away, but it's an investment. And we expect like, hey, then this other account manager can grow and slide some accounts over and continue to push. So it's making sure that the account manager has support from leadership 
and are not just on an island. You know, there's nothing worse. I mean, gosh, when I was a account manager. I think I had like 50 something customers at a time. And it's like, that's a lot of phone calls coming in. Right. So just making sure it's, it's really kind of the amount of customers and compared to the size of the job rather than a total portfolio value. Yeah, that's right on target. We actually had a junior account manager position at the commercial landscape where I worked for. And that person ideally would take somewhere between 500,000 to 800,000, probably fresh out of college or kind of like, sorry, entry level role at the company. And then they would get promoted to that account manager position and where their portfolio would go anywhere from 1.2 to 2 million, depending on the account makeup and demands and needs of the contract. We also had a target of enhancements, percentage of enhancements to our portfolio goal that we had to sell on an annual basis. Is that something that you guys have with your account managers? Yeah, we call it penetration rate. We're looking for anywhere from usually 50 to to 70%. Now from market to market, it's different though, right? So like in Texas, you'd have mulch and flowers included in contract a lot of the time. I've noticed in California, you do not have mulch and flowers included in the contract, which, you know, it kind of become a standard part of the work where an account manager in California may have a higher penetration rate, but they're selling a bunch of mulch or sold a ton of mulch for one job. And it's like, this is just an annual uh, recurring thing. It's just on an enhancement. So we kind of expect that 50 to 70% of the net revenue in the maintenance contract. Yeah, that's a good target. That's something we've seen. And you're right. California, we don't have anything extra in the account. I I think it's part of the mindset of out here is a race to the bottom, unfortunately, of price. So it's like, if you don't include extras, you have a cheaper price. And when you're proposing to an HOA board full of retired folks who don't really know landscaping, they're just looking at dollars and cents. So Mm. it's our job to educate them on what we have included. And one of those things is water management, which has been such a positive for our clients, but at the same time, such a hard thing for our sales team to sell because competitors are, are, they include the clock turn on, turn off, but that's about it. And they just don't have any hours in the bid for it. So Alec down there, water's big here in California and it's spreading. Obviously it was big in Texas. How are you guys handling water management and the act of managing water on your client sites during this recurring maintenance process? To be 100% honest, I don't think you could ever do enough because, you know, water is becoming more scarce. And right now we don't do enough. I think the hardest thing to look at your business, if you have a water quote manager, uh, rather than just an irrigation tech going to do some audits, uh, you got to be able to recover that cost. Well, the customers have to be able to get that cost covered for you. And so when you try to explain a water manager, they're like, well, you just got to come out and turn off the clock, right? It's like, no, I mean... You look at 90% of the jobs out here compared to Texas, they don't even have master valves, right? If there's a mainline leak, you're like, all right, well, you're just losing a ton of water. But to try to get an ROI for these customers of one to five years down the road, it just seems really hard to be able to convince them to spend money. Um, we're seeing a lot of turf conversions going in and things like that. So, But water management, personally, I'd say right now, we don't do enough of it. You know, It's out there, but it's really education to the customer. And that's the number one thing. Yeah, it's a hard deal. And it's I think we're innovating as an industry pretty quickly here in the water management side of things. There's some new manufacturers coming to market. There's some existing manufacturers that have been around a long time who have some pretty cool models. You know, Weathermatic has a pretty unique model that I think a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to end up following on. So I'm excited to see where that goes, but I'm glad to know I'm not the only one struggling on 
trying to do more in that aspect. And, and it, I agree, it seems like we can never do enough. So another quick question for you is when you're bringing on a new account manager and they're not from the industry, like you said, what does the first 90 days look like? Are you throwing them in? Are they shadowing someone? How do you integrate them into not only land care, but into the horticulture industry? Right away, we stick them with a production manager to go out and learn the sites and what our teams do on a daily basis. You know, I think a lot you know, a lot of people from outside the industry, maybe I think even customers can go, oh, it's just landscaping, right? How hard can it be? And so immediately it's like, hey, go out and see what the crews do on a daily basis. Know exactly how we go about our, our business, how the setup is, how we just from unloading the truck to getting the job done to back in the truck to the next job or the way that the production managers think about the operation. So number one is, is pairing with production managers, make sure they start to understand what we do as a business on a daily basis. In 90 days, you know, I would expect my account managers to have a good book of business right away and try to explain to them like, hey, and myself, like, I don't know all the answers for, you know, I moved from tech, Colorado to Texas to California. Somebody's asking me about plants. I just sound like, look, I don't know, but I know somebody in the company who does know. So, you know, you nice. don't have to be the number one landscaper to be able to take care of a customer, right? So to get them in front of customers, make sure that there's communication, communication, and more communication. And then just, like I said, learning what we do. So the first 30 days, I'd say the two, first two weeks is just spending time with a production manager to learn what we do. And then the next two to four weeks after that is starting to get clients, get them a book of business to make sure that kind of throw them to the fire a little bit, but, you know, make sure that they have support as well. Um, kind of some easy handoffs. And then after that, I think, you know, a lot of the good account managers it, from outside the industry, I'd say about six months in, you should be pretty much hitting the ground running, have some autonomy to start moving through your portfolio, take care of the customer and be kind of fully implemented into the business. Nice. Okay. So 90 day mark, full book of business, six month mark, you're off and running. Yep. I totally understand why you have such quick success because you're so clear on what those expectations of your account managers are, right? Retain clients, excellent communication, response time immediately, and build that relationship so they know you by a first name basis. We as an industry overcomplicate a lot of things. And account management is one of them. I believe people feel like they have to be a certified arborist and a horticulturalist, and they have to know everything about soil conditions and irrigation. <laughs> and the truth is, as an account manager, you do not need to know any of that. It'd be great, but you do not need to know any of that. If you're a really excellent communicator, there's enough information in most of our companies. There's someone that knows the answer to the question you just got asked by the client. It's not about how smart you are in the moment. It's how quick you can get back to the client with the right answer. I think clients respect you more if you give them the, hey, I don't know that, but I'm going to get back to you within an hour. And whether you go on YouTube or Google it, or you call your supervisor or someone you know, hey, it may even be a crew leader because they have that knowledge of the field and you get back to them in 30 minutes. That I believe is what differentiates great account managers from those who seem to always be turning over their book of business. It's not how much they know. It's really, like you said, Alec, it's that response time, that communication, and that relationship building. That's what accomplishes number one, retain clients. I could not no agree more. It really is not, you know, that that portion of the business is not complicated. It's customer service, it's communication. And you know, I think the biggest thing I see in our industry is 
is there's not defined roles, right? Like, oh, that person, like they have accounts, but he's also the irrigator. He's also kind of the production manager. He installs a little bit of the, it's like define their role, make sure you know, you know, if they're, if you have an account manager and they love the production side of the business, make them a production manager, right? Like you, I don't need to, it's it's not worse. You're not worse off doing that. Like, you know, you may be better off and happier. And if you're happier in the company, you're going to do a better job as an employee, right? So you look at people, you look for their strengths, you put people in a position to be successful. If that's what they love to do, they don't have to be an account manager. We got a ton of really good roles that'll fit your skills. Yeah. 100%. I love that. Yeah, I love it too. And to go back to the customer service side and how how critical that is, that is also being able to show genuine concern. So customer service is this coined term and there's definitely good and bad customer service. If you are able to not only get back within 30 minutes, but genuinely care about getting back in 30 minutes and showing that you actually, this is a pro- big problem for them and you are going to help them solve it. I think that takes it to the next level versus just returning the phone call in 30 minutes. People love to work for people who actually care about problems that they're dealing with. So as we wrap up here, Alec, one of the things that we like to do is ask for your trade secret. So something that you've learned in your since you were 10 years old working in the industry, um, all the way to where you're at now, moving multiple different states, couple different companies, what is something you've learned along your journey that is important for our listeners to know and to grow with? Yeah. So I think for me, obviously, a lot of lessons learned over the time, a lot of mistakes made. But I think the one of the biggest items that I've learned, and it, it may not go for a lot of actually, you know, CEOs, business owners, but for me, it's chase management. Don't chase money. If you're working with a really good company, and you're working for a really good boss and a really good leader, you'll make money. So my thing is chase management, go look for the people that you want to, you know, grind with on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, even if you are the leader of the business, chase people that want to be right along with you and be right beside you and kind of chasing the goals that you want to achieve. So for me, the number one thing I look back in my career and the, the things I remember are the leaders that taught me the most important people, the mentors, the leaders that really brought brought me in to help them, but also realized at the same time, like, holy cow, you're helping me more than ever. So chase management, not money. We can all make more money elsewhere, probably. Somebody will come by and pay a dollar more and whatever it is, or pay a different salary. But if you chase management, you're going to be super successful. That's extremely powerful. Chase management and chase happiness, ultimately, Mm -hmm. right? Where you want to work with people that make you happier and make you better. So I love that. Justin, any thoughts? I spot on with that. I, I do feel that our industry has become very much money motivated. Private equity has been great for our industry, but it's created a lot of deep pockets for recruiting and headhunting and big, big paydays to come over to a new company. And I see a lot of resumes that are year here, a year there, a year here, a year there. And it's a lot of companies we all know. And they don't seem to be happy in their roles. They don't seem to be fulfilled in those roles. I do love the term chase management, not money. We have a term at our company. We say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. So we can flip that too and say, hey, if you're a manager, a leader, look in the mirror once in a while, ask yourself, are you a person that people want to work for? Are you a person that people are going to actually chase for? And Mm -hmm. if you were to leave the company, would 
someone or a few people follow you? Do you have that type of leadership? And and hopefully you don't leave the company, but that type of question, I always ask myself that question. If I were to sell candy today and start a new company in five years, right? That whole not to compete, how many people would come back and work for me? Hopefully all of them. If I can live and manage by that mindset, I think we all can be better managers and, and ultimately better leaders, right? Yeah, that's powerful. I think it's the look in the mirror. Am I a person that people want to come work for and learn under and be with on a day-to-day basis? So you can turn around both ways. I love it. I think that's a great way to end off today and finish off the show. So Alec, thanks for coming on and all the wisdom you shared. I've got a bunch of takeaways. I'm sure others do too. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Alec.